Well, good morning, Grace Church. If you're happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning, why don't you just clap your hands to Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Look at your neighbor, tell him, say, I don't know what you came to do, but I came to praise the Lord. Hey, amen. There is a there is an excitement here this morning. There's I, I felt it just even in, in Sunday school today in our class. I just believe we've come with expectation that God's going to do some great things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I want to just remind you of a couple of things coming up this week that you want to make a note of. Uh, first of all, don't forget Tuesday morning prayer in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock. We want you to be a part of that if you can. And then, uh, gentlemen, we will have men's prayer in the A Center this coming Saturday at 9 o'clock. So make a note of that, fellas. We want to come to the church and pray next Saturday. Next Sunday, we're very excited to announce that Brother Tom Murphy will be ministering in the 11 o'clock service. We're always blessed by his ministry. Uh, he always does, uh, just lets us hear from the Lord when he preaches to our church. So you want to come, bring a friend, be a part of that. And then finally, October the 3rd is Baby Dedication Sunday. So if you would like to be a part of that, if you have a child that needs to be dedicated to the Lord, please get that information to the church office so that we can include you in that celebration. Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand together this morning. Uh, as I've said a moment ago, I believe that we've come with expectation. The psalmist said, I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter into his courts with praise. That speaks to me of, of beginning. That's, that's our posture coming in. That's the starting place. And then from there, God just carries us up on his wings and carries us up in his blessing. So as the praise team comes to lead us in worship today, would you just lift your voice? Would you clap your hands one more time? And let's enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. God bless you.
wash away your sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Why do we do all of this? Why do we stand to our feet for so long? Why do we lift our hands and worship? Why do we constantly promote and, and, and encourage this theme of giving ourselves to the Lord? I'll share this with you and we'll go quickly to the word of the Lord. But this morning, Brother James Tomlinson sent uh, by way of video a uh, incredible, incredible inspiration. Apparently it was a gathering at their house of uh, maybe our overcomers group, at least a part of them several years ago, but a part of that group was Lee Alexander, uh, Janelle, Johnice, Hubert Nixon. I mentioned these three because if we could have them come back from where they are now and tell you why we do all of this, we would understand better. Because their race is won. Their, 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 their battles are over. They've, they've passed on into that eternal bliss that all of you, are, you and I are shooting for today. I want to thank God for the hope that the blood of Jesus gives to all of us today. Forgiveness, salvation, cleanliness, purity, holiness. It buys us back redeems us from sin and gives us back to Jesus. I thank God today for the blood and I'm glad His presence is here today. Would you clap your hands one more time to the Lord. Let's praise Him again. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Quickly, this morning, if you turn in your Bibles to John 21 and if you brought your Bibles and are turning there, I would like to share this with you. As all of you know, uh, Grace Church has served our area schools lunch. Uh, I think about every four to six weeks we bring one of the schools lunch and some of our other uh, municipal organizations, we bring them lunch as well. Got a wonderful, wonderful thank you note. Dear Grace Church, just wanted to let you know how much our staff appreciated the delicious Subway lunch you provided for us today. It was such a treat for all of us. We especially love knowing that we're being thought of by your church family. Our entire school community felt God's love through this special blessing. We're looking forward to a wonderful school year as we serve Central's youngest Wildcats. Gratefully yours, Miss Rhonda Williams, Assistant Principal at Bellingrath Hills. Thank you, Miss Rhonda, for your very kindness, for your very kind comments. We deeply, deeply appreciate it, and we're certainly happy to serve. And everybody said amen. Should make you feel pretty cool about your church. That was the point in reading that, in case you missed it. Thank the Lord. I love Grace Church, don't you? Thank the Lord. A privilege to be a part of it. Again, thank you, worship team. 
for bringing us to the throne of grace again. We're so appreciative of all of you. John chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth, entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing, but when morning was come, Jesus. That night they caught nothing, but when morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. This is a Sunday school lesson for a very young age Sunday school class. It's very simple. But Jesus noticed something here that is very profound to me that I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to preach to a lot of people here today. I want to preach to a lot of people here today. There is always another side. There is always another side. Everybody say, thank God for the word. Thank you for your patience and standing, and you may be seated. When Jesus asked his disciples that day, children, have you any meat? He means, after all that effort that you put into whatever it is you're doing, did you accomplish anything out of it? Is there any substance or value to what you've been doing? I will ask some of us here today, how much substance or value have you derived out of your lifestyle that you've been living lately? I don't believe that anything Jesus did was done by accident, even down to what seems to be a, a very casual, very simple, and perhaps to some of us here today, a very unimportant scene like the one I just read to you. I don't have to review this scripture setting even though I will. If you were listening, you, you, you understand. So it's after he resurrected from the dead, he knew that some of his disciples kind of had that I give up mentality. And they went back to their old life. Peter said, I'm going fishing, which was his prior life before meeting Jesus. No sin in it. Just going back to fish again. And some of the disciples said, we're going too. They fished all night, as we just read. They toiled all night. They worked hard 
all night. And I'm sure about the time the sun was coming up, their eyes was burning. They were very tired, very sleepy. They were mentally, emotionally exhausted over what had just happened to Jesus and so on. Apparently, Jesus stood there long enough to notice something maybe a little bit trivial to you and I. But to Jesus, it was very profound. Again, this was after the resurrection. The women that followed Jesus had already been drawn to the tomb. Some of them went and found it empty. But the men felt betrayed. They felt like Jesus had somehow broken a promise. He had them all built up, all worked up about this kingdom thing. And now he was dead. They were struggling to believe. To them, he had broken his promise. And now I want to emphasize they were struggling to believe again. They believed once and felt a certain level of betrayal. And now they were struggling to believe again. So their response to this attitude, this mindset they had was led by Simon Peter. Remember, he was the one that received revelation of God in Christ and he was always that one that was so passionate and what have you. He said, I'm going fishing. And his prior fishing buddies said, we're going to. This was, I suppose, their way of saying that, well, life must go on. This Jesus thing has kind of fizzled out. It did not produce in my life what I thought it would, what I thought it should. So I'm going to go back to my previous career, my previous occupation, walking away from the calling and luring of the presence of God. So they threw themselves into what had once been their everyday task before Jesus came their way and called them to discipleship. I'm talking to a lot of folks here today. They went fishing. They toiled all night. We don't know exactly how long Jesus watched them from the shore. He noticed that from the time he showed up until he engaged them with the question, children, have you any meat? That they had been spending the last while now keep in mind, these men are fishermen. They know how it works. Jesus was raised by a carpenter. He don't really know anything about fishing, but he noticed a flaw in what they were doing. He noticed a, perhaps a mistake, a, an oversight in what they were doing. He noticed that they had cast their nets on just one side of that ship. Now, to you and I, that's pretty simple. We have a few fishermen in our church. 
I see Brother Henry sitting back there. He loves to fish and others. I've noticed the handful of times I've been on a boat with some of our men fishing. They cast their, their bait all over the place. They'll go that way, that way. They'll do in increments. Go all the way around the boat depending on where they're sitting. They go all over the place. That's common sense to me. These fishermen here had made a livelihood out of this. But Jesus noticed something they were doing. That he wanted to correct. He had some advice for them that was suddenly going to make what they had been doing all night long by themselves, he was all of a sudden going to give them a suggestion and all of a sudden they was going to be more productive than what they had ever dreamed. I'm preaching to some people here today. It was evident that their minds was not really on fishing. They were too good of fishermen to toil all night long and not catch anything. There are people here today who understands a walk with God, a relationship with God. There's people here today that knows what it feels like to have that passion and fire of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. There's people here today that have received the Holy Ghost at these altars. You've been born again. There's people here today that's been baptized in that baptistry. Or perhaps, if you will, even others. But it seems that here lately, you've reverted back to some old ideas and an old mentality and to an old point of view. And you've been wearing yourself out and struggling. You understood this Jesus movement, if you will. You even agreed to become one of his disciples. But something happened. And you went back to an old attitude and an old mentality. I'm preaching to some people here today. Jesus has showed up this morning to ask you a question. Have you any meat? Have you gained anything? Have you accomplished anything since you felt like Jesus or others betrayed you? Have you accomplished anything with your life? Has it brought forth all the meaning of accomplishment and success and happiness and fulfillment that you thought it would after you felt like you've been betrayed by the kingdom, by the church? I want you to notice how the words rang together in our scripture setting. It was words, night, and nothing, and then morning. And then Jesus. It seems to kind of go in that pattern. People struggle with their life for days, weeks, months, and even years. All the while, Jesus is standing in eye shot of them and watching every move you make, everything you do, and he knows every thought you think. And he stands there and examines and ponders what you're doing. And it reaches a point where after you've struggled for so long, and I'm preaching to some people here today, and after you've struggled and struggled and struggled with fear and anxiety, and I'm going to talk to you about some other things, that Jesus just shows up and asks that question, without me being in your life like you once knew it, have you accomplished anything? 
Do you have any meat? Do you have any substance for the life you're currently living? At least the disciples were honest. We would make excuses. But they were honest. They said, we have toiled all night and we've not caught anything. If I were to ask you that question and then ask you to answer, you would say, but this and but that and this happened and that happened and this was done to me and I was treated this way and it just didn't work out. Whatever you want to put in that blank, Jesus is still here to ask you a question. Is there any substance, real substance to your life based on the way you've been living it lately? Jesus said something that all of us have read many, many times, but I hope today it takes on a new meaning. It's so simple. It's almost ridiculous. He said to them, have you tried the other side of the boat? Actually, he said, have you tried the right side of the boat? Now, I don't know if he meant the right-handed side or the right and wrong side. I like to believe He meant the right side, not the wrong side, but the right side. It's what I like to believe he meant. It's so simple. Try the other side. Because the side you've been fishing on has yielded you nothing. Why don't you try the other side? And that's what I want to encourage somebody here today to do. I'm preaching to a lot of people here today. You've been living your life. You know who you are. You've been living lifestyle. You've been have certain attitudes. You have perspectives. You have thoughts that you've done for a long time. Why don't you try putting your faith in Jesus again? We're, our theme for the rest of this year is moving forward again. I'm going to ask some people here today to put your faith in Jesus again. I will tell you. That as far as we know in the scripture, when Peter and his fishermen buddies decided to put their faith back into Jesus again, it's one thing to have faith in Jesus prior to the resurrection. But it's a whole nother situation to put your faith in a Jesus that's just been resurrected from the dead. And that's the one that we have access to today. That's the one that shed his blood that the praise team just sang about. That's the one that talks about he can buy your soul back. He can redeem you from sin. So instead of casting all of your effort into one side of life that yields nothing, why don't you cast on the other side of life that will yield to you everything? And his name is Jesus. I said his name is Jesus. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord today. I don't believe Jesus was just using this as a way to reveal himself to them. I believe in addition to that, he was underscoring a great principle of life. There's always another side. A leaf has two sides. The coin has two sides. The Bible said that weeping may endure for a night, but joy, there's another side, cometh in the morning. So often you toil in the night, but have you tried the other side? It's that the answer you give to the question, there is always 
another side. You've toiled, but you have nothing to show for it. Do you say, I've toiled all night, but I have nothing? Maybe you need to try the other side. You may be harboring an unforgiving spirit. Jesus on the cross prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You've tried unforgiveness, and it has led to bitterness and to even hatred. But there is another side. All this has led to nothing. Unforgiveness has led to nothing. Why not try the other side? Try forgiving your brother, your sister, your family, your church, your pastor, even Jesus himself. Try forgiveness and see what happens in your life. Hallelujah. Maybe you've had a critical spirit. Many live their lives criticizing everything and everyone. A man told a minister one time after he preached, he said, you have made 38 grammatical errors in your sermon. The minister replied, I'm using what I have for the glory of God. Are you? Amen. Criticism is the poorest substitute for service. There was a sign that was affixed to a church that read, Come in without knocking and leave the same way. In our critical way, we often judge men by what we have seen. When we truly do not know their hearts, we say, Thank God I'm not like those other men. When truly we are like other men. There's always another side. Has all your criticism brought you anything? Why not try the other side? Why not try a little praise that I talked to you about last Sunday? Why not try a little worship sometimes? Why don't you clap your hands when the praise team is singing? Why don't you stand to your feet once in a while when the preacher's preaching? Why don't you jump up and down once in a while? Why don't you dance in the Holy Ghost once in a while? Come on, somebody. There's a whole nother side to this Jesus business. And he's resurrected from the dead. And he'll put something in your life you've not experienced in a long time. Try the other side. Everybody clap your hands and shout yes. Maybe you've tried the way of indifference. Galileo, the deputy at Corinth, had a chance to hear the great apostle Paul. But Galileo cared for none of these things. In Acts 18, 17, the Bible said that all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo cared for none of these things. You may ask why people are not in church. And there are many excuses. Oh my, there's many excuses. But the sum total of it is because they really care for none of these things. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But there may be some that says, I really don't care 
for none of these things. Paul says to forsake not the assembling of yourself together. But some say, I don't really care for these things. Has your indifference to the things of God, your lack of consecration given you anything? I'll remind you there's always another side. Why not try the other side? Why not get on fire for God again? Why not turn your heart over to Jesus again? Why not surrender to the will and purpose of God for your life again? Why do you keep fighting it? Why do you keep resisting it? Why do you keep saying no to it and living in misery confusion and heartbreak I submit to somebody today there's a whole other side of life and his name is Jesus and he'll work in your life he'll bring satisfaction in your life he'll bring deliverance to your life he'll bring hope to your life he'll bring promise come on somebody help me today I believe there's another side and I live that other side of Jesus Woo! hallelujah Praise God. Maybe there's somebody here today trying the way of jealousy. Jealous of people. In the Bible we read that jealousy is as cruel as a grave. According to Song of Solomon 8, 6. Proverbs 6, 31 says, For jealousy is the rage of man. The brothers of Joseph had jealousy of the most destructive type. The Bible said when he, his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. David of the Old Testament was a victim of Saul's jealousy. The Bible said the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth at the saying, displeased him and he said they have ascribed unto David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed but thousands and what can he have more but the kingdom and Saul eyed David from that day forward meaning that he wanted to kill him the prodigal son returned home from the far country his father sponsored a big banquet reception but the elder brother became jealous and the Bible said he was angry and would not go in Jealousy is essentially selfish. It calls for all successes, all compliments, all advantages, all accomplishments, everything to be for itself. Because of jealousy, Cain slew Abel. Because of jealousy, King Saul sought to slay David. Because of jealousy, Christ's enemies sent him to the cross. There are many that are jealous, but has it helped you? Has it brought you anything? There's another side. Why don't you try love? Why don't you try loving people? Why don't you try loving Jesus? Why don't you try loving the church? Why don't you try loving... Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Why don't you try loving the people of God? Why don't you fall in love with the Word of God again? Try another side. I'm preaching to some people here today. Have you any meat? You're going to notice that this is going to start funneling down and it's going to start getting closer and closer to the toes of your shoes. Don't pull them under the seat because I'm trying to help somebody here today. I am. There's people here today that have tried the side 
of unfaithfulness. We need to learn the word faithful. Stop the excuses. Stop the reasons. Hallelujah to God. You need to be faithful to your church, to your pastor, to your prayer closet. You need to be faithful to your tithing. The tithe is to be paid as the income is made. The top tenth, the first tenth. Have you tried the way of unfaithfulness? If you have, there's another side. What have you gotten in return for being unfaithful? You can take that unfaithful word and apply it to a lot of things. If you're not faithful to your job, it's not going to work out too good. You can criticize your boss and hate on the company all you want. But if you're not faithful to it, not just in showing up, but your attitude and putting in the, the, the required hours and all of that. If you're not faithful to it, it's not going to yield to you what it could. There's another side. And God help you if you're not faithful to your marriage. That sure isn't going to bring long-term happiness. You need to be faithful to your marriage. But above all else, we must be faithful to God. So try being faithful. There's something that's been introduced in our culture. I'm not sure where it came from. But people look at church like a restaurant menu. I'll go to this service, but not that one. I'll attend this, but not that. I believe when God calls us to faithfulness, we don't choose no more than you choose how to define the word faithful when you're married. Call your spouse one day and tell them, baby, I'm on the way to work. When, I'm on, when I leave work today, I'm going to stop and visit an old girlfriend or an old boyfriend if that's okay with you. Run that flag up the pole and see how it goes. Don't believe God appreciates it too much when we put other things that we love ahead of Him. Amen. So if you're not faithful, why not try faithfulness and let God work in your life and things will get better with your attitude, your perspective, and so on. And... There's folks here today, and I'm preaching to a lot of people here today. I said that at the very beginning. There's a lot of people here today that's tried the way of worldliness. There's an old proverb that says, the world is a net. The more we stir in it, the more we're entangled. Worldliness, you may ask, what is it? Worldliness is excluding God from our lives. And therefore, consciously, or unconsciously accepting the values of a man-centered society. Worldliness is not only doing what is forbidden, but also wishing it were possible to do it. One of its distinctives is mental slavery to illegitimate pleasure. One of its distinctives is mental slavery to illegitimate pleasure. Worldliness twists values by rearranging their price tags. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world 
were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have come the most ineffective in this one. Folks, we have to move forward again. Jesus may have heard his disciples with the crucifixion the first time, but when he appeared to them the second time, they bought into it again and turned their world upside down. Published in 1936, Arthur Getterman wrote the following poem. Reading his observations, you wouldn't guess that it was written some 85 years ago. He writes, first dentistry was painless. Then bicycles were chainless. And carriages were horseless. And many laws enforceless. Next, cookery was fireless. Telegraphy was wireless. Cigars were nicotineless. Coffee was caffeineless. Soon oranges were seedless. And pudding, pudding, the pudding green was weedless. The college boy was hatless. The proper diet, fatless. Now motor roads are dustless. And latest steel is rustless. Our tennis courts are sodless. And our new religions are godless. 1936. I believe that we are in the age. I'm preaching to a lot of people here today. I believe that we are in an age where our religion is becoming more and more worldly and therefore more and more godless. John Stott said, You know what your own country is like. I'm a visitor and I wouldn't presume to speak about America. But I know what Great Britain is like. I know something about the growing dishonesty, corruption, immorality, violence, pornography, the diminishing respect for human life, and the increase in abortion. Whose fault is it, he asked. Let me put it like this. If the house is dark at night, there's no sense in blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If the meat goes bad, there's no sense in blaming the meat. That is what happens when the bacteria are allowed to breed unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the salt? If society becomes corrupt like a dark night or a stinking fish, there's no sense in blaming society. That's what happens when fallen human, when fallen human society is left to itself. And human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask is where is the church? You're a part of the church and you've tried the way of worldliness. But there's another side. Has being worldly brought you any substance of eternal and everlasting value. If it hasn't, why not try the other side? Finally this morning,
preaching to a lot of people. There's people that's tried the way of sin. Listen to pastor this morning. Sin has many manifestations, but its essence is one. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. A moral being created to worship before the throne of God sits on the throne of his own selfhood and from that elevated position declares, I am. That is sin in its concentrated essence. Yet because it is natural, it appears to be good. The question that was asked in Acts chapter 2 that all of us, many of us have heard for years, what shall we do? was a question to the sermon that Simon Peter had preached. What shall we do? It's the deep heart cry of every man who suddenly realizes that he is a usurper and sits on a stolen throne. The root of the human problem is the dynamic disease of sin operating within the soul and then manifesting itself. We look at the dreadful things other people do and excuse ourselves. Human beings are not unlike volcanoes inside a volcano. The pressure builds until the top blows with a dramatic eruption of lava. At other times it cracks slowly and insidiously appear on the the side of the volcano and the lava flows out in a different manner. So it is with human beings. We can never say that the circumstances in which a young person's character was formed did not have some impact on the way that he behaves. But inside each of us, there's a thing called sin. And no matter what way our volcano was formed, whether we blow the top or leak streams of lava, It's the lava inside that's the problem. The ultimate disease is the problem. And there's nothing human beings can do about it. The essence of sin is the refusal to recognize that we are accountable to God in everything we do. There's something terribly right about realizing that our struggle with sin is in many ways similar to an alcoholic struggle with drinking. It's never over. How often I find myself talking about sin in the past tense as if being a sinner is something I'm beyond the page turned in the book of my life. But sin is like alcoholism. Sinners are never cured. They just simply decide to stop sinning. And then it becomes a daily decision. So... I want to ask some people here today. Has living in sin brought you the fulfillment and satisfaction that you hoped and planned that it would? What would your marriage be like if you took sin out of it? What would your kids be like if you took sin out of the home? What would your relationship with God be like if you could take sin out of it? The Bible teaches in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve that sin separates people from God. So you're not going to have much of a relationship. Listen to pastor today. 
our culture, our religious culture, through a lot of different church venues, genres, and presentations, has persuaded a lot of people that you can live in sin because of the grace of God. It's okay to sin because of the mercy of God because He will always forgive. God never intended for us to keep repeating the same habits over and over and over. It makes a mockery out of Calvary to me. I believe Calvary, yes, it's forgiving. It's understanding. It's full of grace and it's full of mercy. But the, the sacrifice of Calvary, the weight of Calvary, the, the un, unbelievable pain and agony of Calvary, it cheapens it when you say, it's okay if I sin, all I have to do is ask for forgiveness. It cheapens that. What God wants is true repentance. Where yes, you get forgiveness from sin, but then you turn away from that sin. And you start giving your life to God. And you live in a way that's pleasing to Him. It's the essence of holiness. There's a lot of things. Perhaps not a lot, maybe some things. That I do in my marriage, being married to Sister Murphy now some 45 years. I don't have to do it. I don't have to do it. But I do it because I love her. There's many, many things that she does for me that she doesn't have to do. But she does it based on love. People question Christian lifestyle. But is it possible just to do things a certain way, to live a certain way, because you love Jesus. You don't need any other reason than that. I hear it all the time. I've heard it this week. Somebody talked about it this week. That they make fun of me because of my lifestyle. It happens at school. It happens at work. What is the answer? You square your shoulders back. You lift your face and you look with them in the eye with as much confidence as you can muster. And you tell them, I live like I live because I love Jesus. That's it. I don't need any other reasons. I don't need any other explanations. I don't need to explain any further than that. I live my life and my marriage because I love my wife. I live the way I live today because I love Jesus. That's all there is to it. If you tried living in sin, why don't you try the other side and fall in love with a God that'll take you from here to heaven, that'll give you peace and understanding, that'll give you fulfillment in your soul. Everybody stand this morning and lift your voice. Lift your voice to the Lord. Let's praise Him. I've, I've noticed, I'm not nosy, but I feel like it's my job as pastor to notice that there's people who are part of Grace Church, you've been consistently part of Grace Church, you've been a part of Grace Church weeks, months, even years, but it's just come to my attention lately that there's some people here this morning it's been fishing on the wrong side of the boat. It's not going to bring you what you think it will. I've learned so much in the past almost 40 years in ministry. I've learned so much. 
by working with people, talking to people. I've heard the same story over and over and over. When a person comes to God and they feel betrayed, something happens and they're betrayed. They're betrayed by preachers and pastors and evangelists. I've heard of people that evangelists have prophesied to them and gave them times and dates on the calendar and it didn't happen. And they say, you see, it's all phony. No, it's not. It's the preacher that was phony. It's not God. God don't make mistakes. I'm not going to go as far as to say that the preachers are phony either. All of us make mistakes. We need to learn to be a little more forgiving. But I've noticed, oh God, help me right now. I've noticed over the past 18 months that there's a lot of people that's been casting your net, your net on the wrong side of your ship. There's a lot of loneliness, a lot of despair, a lot of anxiety, a lot of confusion. But Jesus has showed up this morning on the shore of your life and he has a question he wants to ask you. Why don't you cast that net on the other side of your boat? There's a whole nother world. There's a whole nother world out there. There's a world full of hope and promise. There's a hope full of family and support. There's a hope. There's a, a fulfillment that matches your desire. Your wishes as far as fulfillment can come true. Why don't you pull your net out of the waters of despair and loneliness and confusion and sin and all of those things I've just preached and cast it on the other side of your life into hope and promise and satisfaction, fulfillment. God, I'm going to make a commitment to this side of the ship. I'm going to start doing better. I'm going to start living better. There's people here today. The Holy Ghost is screaming in your ear figuratively speaking. I am not going to lighten this moment in any way. But I did hear a comedian say one time, he meant it to be funny, but I don't. Have you ever noticed that every time you go to church, it's like the preacher's always preaching right to you. That was his experience when he went to church one time. Everything the preacher said described me. And he made light of it, not in a bad way. But I want you to know here this morning, if you fit the description of what I've preached today, yes, I'm preaching to you. Because I care about it. I care about your life. I care about your future care about the path, the direction you're heading. It's telling to me, it's real telling to me that people will sit through an entire service and when it comes to this very moment is the time they choose to walk out because there's needs outside of what's going on in this room. So it's really telling to me when that happens. But for those of us that remain I want to open up the front of this building, but not in our traditional way we do here at Grace Church. I believe there are some people here today that really, they're, they're, they're just kind of tired of living without any meat, without any substance, without anything just really passionate and real going on in their life. And Pastor, I'd like to try the other side. 
of the boat. I'd like to try the right side. I'd like to throw my net down into the water and see what God has for me today. So as they play and sing softly this morning, I'm going to invite everybody to come. I want everybody to come, everybody to come. But I want you to come with them. I'd like for you to open your heart. If you're watching live stream this morning, wherever you are, make your living room, your car, whatever it is you're doing, make it a prayer closet right now. And say, God, I'm coming back. I went fishing. But I'm coming back to divine purpose. I'm coming back to what God wants me to do. I'm coming back to what God wants me to be. He may have called you to become something years and years ago. There's always time and room to come back. There's always opportunity to come back. They say this mountain can be All across the building this morning, they say raise your hands. Will you lift your face heavenward and say, God, I'm coming back. I'm going to be that person you want me to be. I'm going to live the way you want me to live. I'm going to do what you want me to do because I know if I do, you're going to pour out blessing in my life that I've been missing out on. You're going to do things in my life that I've been missing out on. Come on, somebody. Would you believe in him again? Would you come back to him again? Would you give him an opportunity in your life again? Give your heart to Him. Say, God, I want to be everything. 